Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hey, Reach listeners, you're about to listen to an incredible episode uh, in which I sit down with Ro Hoffer, who currently supports the chairwoman of Mozilla. Just a quick heads up that Ro and I recorded this episode uh, a couple of weeks before the COVID-19 crisis uh, unfolded. And I wanted to bring that up because there's a couple of moments in our conversation where we talk about things like... um, how if the economic situation were to ever shift, that you might see uh, a difference in terms of how people's tenacity um, rears its head and, and people's focus and commitment to their role could change. And you know, we kind of hypothesized that uh, in a really hot market, it's easier to be flippant about your job and your career, but in a more um, challenging market, you kind of see people's sense of tenacity and conviction and their resolve come into play. So it was an an interesting foreshadowing in light of the fact that neither Ro or I anticipated what was going to happen in the couple of weeks that followed. But I wanted to mention that um, because I think that the conversation that I had with Ro about the importance of tenacity and really, um, you know, being able to hunker down and see things through is so relevant, especially now. So enjoy. I hope you get as much from it as I did in hearing Rose speak. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reach. I am your host, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, Jessica Van. And today I am joined in the studio by Ro Hoffer, who is the senior executive assistant to the co-founder and chairwoman of Mozilla who she has supported for nearly nine years. Ro's eyes just got big. (laughs) I was just saying to someone today in the restroom that it doesn't feel like nine years. That's a good thing. Feels like I started nine months ago. That's huge when you can say that. I mean, I think to see a tenure like that is really incredible. Um, In addition to leading an absolutely incredible and inspiring EA career, In her spare time, Ro also teaches dance and fitness and, in fact, has developed her own fitness format, kind of a a spin on Zumba um, called Vitamin D. That's correct, for vitamin dance. I love that. So um, today, Ro is going to be speaking with us about working relationships and specifically working relationships that on the face of them, may not feel ideal or may not seem like the quote-unquote perfect match. And, you know, most of the EAs that we encounter and represent would say that relationship is really at the core of overall job job satisfaction uh, in the EA position. So it's, of course, awesome, right, when you can have instantaneous rapport with someone and a seamless partnership that's just totally intuitive. But at the same time, it can also sometimes be unrealistic for us to expect perfection in a working relationship, whether that's with an executive, whether that's with a colleague, whether that's with a spouse, whoever it might be. Relationships are complicated and they take work. 
So as nice as it is to have a wish list for the type of executive that you want, what we wanted to talk about with Roe is specifically what's the game plan when maybe things aren't exactly butterflies and rainbows and you find that the relationship has kind of strayed or deviated from your ideal. Demonstrating resilience and tenacity is not only an important skill to develop for relationships, but it's also a really essential skill to be able to survive and thrive ultimately as an executive assistant. So today, Ro is going to share all of her thoughts on how we can really manifest the type of relationship with our executive that we hope to uh, aspire to. So welcome, Ro. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. To start us off, as a career EA who has supported C-level executives for over two decades at this point, um, what types of relationship struggles or difficulties have you had to navigate? And most importantly, I think for our listeners today, what were your techniques for working through those? The battle scars are real. <laughs> <laughs> so what I would say or what I would like to speak about is something that I find constant in the EA world. And it's bigger than just the day-to-day struggles of obviously managing somebody's busy schedule or someone's mood, for instance. And to me, I go back to thinking about what has made me a stronger EA by learning to overcome such a particular struggle. I would say it's realizing that the executive you're supporting isn't really valuing you as part of his or her inner circle. Okay. So as an EA, the more information you know, the better you can serve Mm -hmm. and support. And not all executives have that as top of mind, whether it's not their style or whether it doesn't resonate with them or their calendars or their agenda is too busy to think about you, then the struggle becomes your day-to-day, and it also develops into a very big picture because now you are working from a place where you need to navigate without as much information that will help you help the person. I have found that most of the time it's not out of malice. It's not a desire to keep you out, but it's just not something they're attuned to. Mm -hmm. So it's now up to you, the executive assistant, to figure out a way how to work through that. Mm-hmm. And I personally am not of the style that's naggy. I'm not pushy, mm-hmm. but I'm also not a doormat. And I would like to think you know me as someone who's not a doormat. You will not survive the EA world for 25 years if you cannot stand for yourself. However, my approach is gentler. I tend to model the behavior I want from my executive. So if what I want from my executive is to be able to share with me info, regardless of how small, I share info with my executive. And I repeatedly do that. Up until they say it's too much, which is sometimes the case, but then you fine-tune as you go along. It's important that you're always open to really listening and being tuned into things that they don't even say in words, Mm -hmm. but day-to-day body language. Mm -hmm. When you see that their eyes glaze over Mm. or they look over your shoulder, now they've become a little bit impatient. Disengaged. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. They've lost interest. So if I model the behavior of 
I'm sharing information with you because I find that this information will be helpful for you to know for tomorrow or for next week or information that you keep in your back pocket for whenever that comes handy. And my other technique is I also always thank my executive when every bit of information that they share with me comes to my desk, even if they find that it's not important. If it's as little as saying to me, oh, I liked that restaurant, I make sure to say thank you so much. That's helpful for me, and I will make a note of it. Mm -hmm. And I build my library of things that Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. So practicing positive reinforcement positive positive encouragement to encourage more of that behavior. And consistently. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... If I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like kind of the fundamental relationship challenge that you're speaking to is, like you said, it's not necessarily a conscientious thing on their end to block you from information, but it's a lack of feeling included or privy to what you need Mm -hmm. in order to do your job most effectively. So it's sort of like a bottleneck with transparency or things are kind of obscured. Correct. And they move fast. We all know how quickly they move. The last thing on their mind and the last thing I want for them to think about is always, well, how how's Roe going to feel or right. how's Roe going to react? Right. I should be the least of all their worries. Right. But at the same time, you also need from them yep. to be aware that your value is being part of that inner circle. Right. Question about that. Yes. So do you feel like the reason that EAs are not necessarily always included is do you think there's a lack of respect in the relationship? Like you said, you know, I don't always feel like I'm part of the inner circle. And for me to do my job most effectively, I really need to be part of the inner circle. Do you think that the disconnect there is a lack of respect? Or do you think it's just a lack of awareness as to the priority around inclusivity and communication? I would say a lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that it's not out of lack of, di- of respect. Mm-hmm. I think it's the lack of awareness or experience in seeing the value of a good EA. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of young executives nowadays. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. And I've seen how the careers of EAs have changed quite a bit from 25 years ago or even 15 years ago. And... Incoming executives, they see their executive assistant as a partner more than they used to Mm -hmm, back then. mm -hmm. So thankful for that, right? However, they also move a lot faster and the demands are greater. They're pushed and pulled in so many different directions. So another way that I found as a good technique is I come at it from the outside of the circle. So I think of that as... What do you call those circles? Concentric circles. Yes. And we may be moving in different circles, but Mm -hmm. the center of it is the same. What pulls us in is the same, and the axis is the same. Mm -hmm. However, we have different types of movement happening. So I build my relationships with the direct reports of the executive. What I might not get from the executive, I will get from outside. And then I come at it as, look, look at what's happening outside of your inner circle. Look at the value add I now brought in. Mm-hmm. And I believe naturally the executive who started off as closed off saw the value and it kind of paved the way mm-hmm. as far as, oh, 
I'm going to allow my EA a little bit more closely into me. And that's eventually how it ended up, thankfully. Right. Right. So a couple of the techniques that you've shared so far that I'm that I'm getting are number one, positive reinforcement. So modeling, like you said, the types of behaviors that you want to encourage more of. Um, The second one that I'm hearing is really leveraging the information and people around you apart from just your executive, but really approaching your role almost like a detective and being really diligent about kind of uncovering the context and maybe talking to so-and-so or so-and-so and and kind of cobbling things together um, versus just sort of throwing up your hands and saying, I don't have what I need to be successful. I don't know how to operate. I don't know how to be, you know, I don't know how to navigate. Um, Really trying to avail yourself of the other types of resources available to you. Absolutely. And I see the direct reports of my executive, my relationship with them, we're mutually dependent on each other. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that they know I have a place and I don't expect that my place is equal. And I don't mean this in a negative or self-deprecating manner. My place in that circle is as valuable mm-hmm. and their place is as valuable. But together, we benefit from each other mm-hmm. by being cohesive. And then the other part of that is those direct reports have their own EAs as well. So the modeling of the behavior, that will just transcend all different offices, orgs, and levels. How can you transform what seems to be something that's maybe mixed mixed matched or um, not an ideal pairing? How can you transform that into something that is ultimately positive and successful? So maybe the issue is not, um, you know, siloed information that you've just described. Maybe the issue is something else. Maybe the issue is communication. I feel like that's one that comes up so frequently with the executive assistants that we speak with is just feeling like, God, I could do my job so much more effectively if my executive would just respond or if my executive would just clue me in or open up or get back to me in a timely way, right? So I I feel like communication or delays around that can be a huge bottleneck and a real challenge for EAs. You know, do you have any thoughts on on that and how you can really transform and and influence um, positive change for things like that? I think the word tenacity is where we will eventually get to, right? This Mm -hmm. is the topic of our conversation. Mm -hmm. So I use the network a lot. It cannot possibly be that the information you need is only going to come from your executive. So that's when you use the resources that you build, the close-knit relationships that you fostered. Of course, there are decisions that your executive owns, and you cannot get it from anyone else. However, If you have built enough of a structure around your executive and around yourself where you can push, pull different types of information from others, you at least get as close to as possible to what you need from your executive. Then you make the need smaller. Now you're not expecting from your executive such a big decision. Mm. You can actually provide to your executive. These are the things that you need to know to get to your decision, and here I am Mm -hmm. providing you with them Mm -hmm. 
So now you have less to think about. Mm-hmm. Now your communication path is a little bit more paved, smoother, and he or she has less to look into to give you an answer. So you're removing the obstacles that prevent them from saying yes or no. Correct. Or if they do say yes, you provided them with the reasons why they should say yes or no. Can you give us an example? Accepting a speaking request, let's say. So first off, think about, well, will your schedule allow it? So you do your due diligence. You don't just go to your executive and say, do you want to speak? Chances are they'll say, yes, but there's a but. Mm -hmm. So removing that part, saying your schedule will allow. However, if you leave on a weekend, you miss this and this and this social and personal activity that you have. Also, when you return, it's board meeting day the following day. But here are the flights. It's doable. Also, here are other meetings you can have while you're in New York. Mm-hmm. So it's all there. And the, the risk of a back and forth is less because mm-hmm. now it's a one-stop shop yep. in that conversation. Yep. I have executives or have had who don't want to read emails and want the face-to-face. Then you carve out time for face-to-face. Usually you're the first one that gets bumped off of the schedule. Now it's, <laughs> <laughs> now it's up to you to say, when are we going to have face-to-face time? Right. Is it on your way to the other office? Is it on your way to lunch? We're resourceful people. That's why we're EAs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a matter of calibration, I think. The more you do, the easier it gets. But as you said earlier, if you throw up your hands and be in frustration, constantly griping about it, it won't move the needle. Sure. You risk, you make a mistake. You apologize for the mistake. You change it for next time. Right, right. Well, and I think the really important point here, too, is that when you do a really good job of scoping the decision, right? Like, Because what you're really doing is you're scoping it out. You're saying, okay, if this happens and this happens, there's a domino effect mm-hmm. to, to every commitment and because time is the most constrained resource, inevitably something else is going to you know, be affected. So if you properly scope it from the beginning, then you also eliminate a lot of the frustrations that could happen for you down the road Absolutely. where they said, yeah, 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 let's do the speaking engagement. And then lo and behold, they didn't consider the 15 other things that were going to be impacted. And then you're scrambling like crazy to do all of these things versus if you guys approach it from a position of, really thoroughly considering everything up front, it just eliminates so much of the headaches. Correct. And it will come back to you when those headaches crop up. Mm-hmm. You missed the mark on a few things. Mm-hmm. So our, our job is to make sure nothing is missed or at least point out the blind spots. Right. So have you seen a difference in how people approach navigating workplace conflict or just kind of strife or tension in relationships in general? I mean, you mentioned that you've seen a real metamorphosis Mm -hmm. happen in your career uh, with regard to how executive assistants are perceived present day versus how they were perceived 20 years ago, let's say. Um, So you've seen a real evolution there. Have you also observed, uh, you know, any kind of shift with regard to how people problem solve and really like their tenacity and willingness to work through things. 
the style of communication for sure. We have such agility and so many choices in how we communicate with each other. There's email, there's Slack, there's mm-hmm. SMS, mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. So the style of communicating, the way we handle strife, the way we handle conflict, we write a lot. A lot of discussion tends to happen online on some particular channel. So the style also has become so open because you've got a little bit of a buffer. And I would say there are a lot of good things about the openness of having so many ways to communicate, but nothing beats an in-person type of conversation. Mm -hmm. It's become harder to do because Mm -hmm. we're becoming trained to not have them. Mm -hmm. And the art of writing, I have an English major, so Mm -hmm. I still love to write. That's your (laughs) go-to. That's my go-to. That's the clearest way I can communicate. So it helps to know that you can write your thoughts out, but you have to be very conscious and aware that the tone that you thought you were writing could be 100% not the tone that it's being received. Mm -hmm. So the handling of conflict I find that a lot happens on in some written form. Mm-hmm. And I myself have become less and less vocal mm-hmm. just because I don't want to come at someone mm. in person mm-hmm. because that's not the natural way we do it these days. Nowadays. Nowadays. Well, I think what you said <laughs> is really interesting about how we're, we've been conditioned and systematized to really avoid human-to-human, face-to-face, in-person dialogue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's been, I mean, that's a shift that's been happening and is continuing to happen. And I think, like you said, I mean, it's, it's challenging when you're trying to work through relationship dynamics and you're having to filter that through all of these methods of communication that are sort of rife for misinterpretation Absolutely. and tone, like tone deafness and all of these types of things are real fundamental um, challenges yes. and risks. And the nuances you miss yeah. by being behind yeah. your, your computer. Totally. So two weeks in Berlin, I had the privilege of listening to a speaker na- uh-huh. named Aaron Meyer. There's a positive, though. So... We tend to be heard a little bit more these days as an EA group. Mm-hmm. So that's huge upswing. Yep, I totally agree with that. Yes. Yeah. Gone are the days when we blended into the wallpaper. Yep. And you sat there to scribe. Mm-hmm. So kudos to those executives who realize that value. Yeah. That there's a voice behind that person. Yeah. There's actual smarts right. that will come out from their their perspective that yep. you will not think about because you've never sat in their role. Absolutely. Well, and, and kudos to the executive assistants who have been able to plow ahead in asserting their value. Right. Right. I mean, it, it took both people to really embrace for sure that and, and create that recognition. So do you feel like in this, I'm just going to go ahead and say, culture of immediate gratification, right? <laughs> because I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about with how we're being conditioned and communication is changing. And, you know, both of us are, as we discussed, parents to this generation. Mm-hmm. And this is a whole other thing altogether. Um, 
Do you feel like in this culture of immediate gratification and I'm going to call like it, you know, Instagram versions of reality, which I quotation marks, you know, used to say like, you know, that, that there's just sort of this we're being conditioned to think of things in a very um, utopian kind of a way. Right. That, you know, nobody has challenges, mm-hmm. that everything is very whitewashed and it's very perfect it's and it's glossy. It's all so pretty. <laughs> so, so pretty. Um, but but at the on the other hand, I think that, you know, just as they're being falsely conditioned to believe that everyone is ageless and nobody has cellulite and yiddy, 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 yeah, um, that they're also being conditioned to believe that things maybe are easier than they actually are. And I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to relationships. And I wonder if that's really a disservice to, you know, obviously our conversation today is about executive assistance. You could extrapolate this to all kinds of relationships. But I wonder if there's a real risk and danger there in kind of conditioning us to think that things are easier than they are and therefore making us maybe less resilient or less willing to work on things when we find that, oh, oh my gosh, it's actually not so easy, right? <laughs> right? right? Oh my gosh, I don't have everything I need from my executive. Sure. Oh my gosh, they're not communicating with me, right? And, and that there's more of a tendency possibly to kind of like spin into panic mode or to spin into, well, this just isn't going to work. Right. And kind of that kind of fatalistic thinking mm-hmm. versus the kind of thinking of like, well, how can I actually influence some positive change in this? So I'm curious if you've observed that or if you've seen that people are just less prepared to deal with challenges than maybe they used to be. Yes, I agree with you on that. Also, I think it's programmed us to always think or expect that there's something better around the corner, mm-hmm. that it's going to be an easy fix. And if it's not, well, done with that, move on. Swipe left. I don't even know. Do you swipe (laughs) left? Sorry, I'm not in that world. (laughs) So constantly looking for that perfection that's easy to attain because it must be around the corner. BFF next door has it, so why can't I have it? Mm And then we forget what it took to actually find whatever it is that person found. And you said it's instantaneous. So on social media, they're not going to list out how many years or how many therapy sessions or how many courses on how to be an effective speaker they took. It might be this one post of a pretty building somewhere where I'm here to attend a symposium on being a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, a workout that showed somebody looking so uh, rejuvenated, but you didn't see the grunt work behind what it took to get there. So as far as being an EA, we like to always show that we have things under control. That's the world we live in. That's what we're evaluated on. Did we lose our mind over something? Did we regain something we lost? So we're not going to advertise (laughs) all the sweats and tears that happened. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, when you see that posting, you're likely to look at it and go, oh, come on, seriously, move over. Oh, look, shiny, pretty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the Mm -hmm. one I'm going to gravitate to. Mm -hmm. The upside, though, is if we see things are easy, we have more invitation to try it. 
So I'm talking about an example is, oh, look at this uh, do-it-yourself soap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looks so easy. Mm-hmm. I never want to do soap, but hey, it looks pretty, <laughs> so I'm going to do soap. Maybe it's a gift for Christmas. I don't know. But if it didn't look easy, would I have tried it? If mm-hmm. I didn't have access to how easy it was to get mm-hmm. instructions, I probably wouldn't go down that path. Mm-hmm. However, our um, blind spot there, as you said, is... Do we have the tenacity to endure? Mm -hmm. Do we have what it takes to say, flunked that one big time. Let me gather my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Let me recalibrate. Let me fine tune. Right. And it takes a a really good executive to not diminish an executive EA for Mm -hmm. mistakes, Mm -hmm. but to fine tune them. Mm -hmm. They can never live in the shoes that we wear because they don't know that world. Unless they've been one, and we know of several, Mm -hmm. but to recalibrate their EAs so that there's not this constant thinking of, if I make a mistake, that's the end of it. The apology needs to be there, and the acceptance of the mistake needs to also be there from the executive. I think, too, that, you know, some of the um, maybe temptation in wanting to just sort of like move on, right, mm-hmm. um, is what we're talking about, like things sort of being, condi- like we're sort of being conditioned to think that things are easier than they are. But I also think that there's this economic factor as well, and that as long as we are, um, knock on wood, existing in such a mm-hmm. healthy and robust, robust yes. economic climate, you have the luxury of being more flippant about you know your 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 willingness to stay in a job and stick something out but mm-hmm. oh my goodness if things were to shift right. right and all of a sudden there's a real imperative and necessity around mm-hmm. figuring it out and sticking with your job because oh, if you leave you might be unemployed for a year or yes. longer or whatever you know that that forces a certain level of um resilience and thoughtfulness about how you're going to deal or problem solve when you're resource constrained, right? Sure. I mean, the most innovative people I've ever known were those who were highly resource constrained. It was like, okay, well, we either we're going to figure this out or we are just going to lose out. Right. So I think that's a factor as well. Also, Jessica, it's not frowned upon anymore to only have a year or two years no, on, your, <clears throat> on your resume in one position. And to no fault of anyone, sometimes there's really, truly something so fantastic that you cannot say no to. Right. That's part of the robust industry we're in, the climate we're in. Sure. But you and I have lived through how many downturns Sure. when, oh, wow, now you're coming at jobs where you're just lucky to even find an opening somewhere. Mm-hmm. But to bring it back to what we're talking about, people will remember your work. Mm -hmm. And if it's not with this particular job opening, there's Mm -hmm. someone who's going to remember you Mm -hmm. at some other place. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I have been very grateful to people who always helped. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I laughed about this at one time when we first met, when Mm -hmm. you said, Gosh, you don't need me. <laughs> because there's always someone who uh-huh. presented themselves right. or something to me. Uh-huh. But because we're talking about the tenacity of EAs, 
the relevance of your work is also important. Sure. You can be tenacious about something, but if it's not yielding results, mm-hmm. oh, then certainly the yeah. end game is not there. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. The result has to be there. No doubt about that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I'm so naive as to think that in the nine years that you've supported the same executive, you know, the chairwoman of Mozilla, that you didn't have a single challenge or conflict what? to resolve. <laughs> I don't, it's a I don't, bed of roses. It's no. Exactly, right? I mean, it's, you know, that's staying power the like that. The struggle is real. Absolutely. And and no one is, is so naive as to think that, that, that nothing, you know, ever... Um, surfaced in that time that that didn't challenge you or or throw you off your balance, right? Absolutely. But that's what we're talking about is that resolve. And so, I'm curious, like, you know, what is your definition of what it means to be a tenacious EA, and what qualities does a tenacious EA need to exhibit mm-hmm. to really call himself or herself tenacious? You said it earlier. Don't throw up your hands at the first sign of. Mistake, error, or yes, failure. Mm-hmm. Tenacity, isn't that the ability to stick it out, stick it through? So I think about it as, do you have a choice? Sure. But what do you leave behind? What will people remember you for when you were given a task? It might be wrong, but if the effort was there, and if you are resilient enough to actually see it through and then be told that was not the way I wanted it, what did you lose? Uh, some time, mm-hmm. a lot of time, most mm-hmm. of <laughs> most <laughs> cases. But what did you learn from it? There's the fine tuning mm-hmm. for next time. I now have a library that I can go back to and say, oof, that was not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And... Also, to me, tenacious doesn't mean that your path is only one way. So tenacity, I think, for me, involves it could be going three different ways to attain the same result. Mm -hmm. And that's where the strength lies, is being able to say, I'm going to shift midstream, but I'm going to stick with it because I need the result to happen. So my executive chairwoman, the fantastic thing about us is when I make a mistake, she calls me out on it. And she leaves room for me to say, noted, remembering for next time. Now, if this is a pattern, then we need to reevaluate the relationship we have. Sure. But for her, mistakes are welcome. Mm. And own up to them, though. Mm-hmm. And don't ever blame anyone else for your misstep. So when you're thinking about that line between sticking something through or seeing something through, sticking it out, versus aborting ship, right? <laughs> where, where do you personally draw the line in terms of determining what you're willing to sacrifice versus not or what you're willing to work on mm. versus not? So I am attracted to executives and organizations that have high integrity and soul. That's how I ended up at Mozilla. I will not sacrifice the loss of integrity. And if I see any behavior or operation or behavior treatment of people that doesn't exemplify 
a true sense of integrity in oneself, in their job, and kindness. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will always get along, but there's something to be said about being kind. I cannot sacrifice. You cannot pay me enough money to work for someone who berates people or will throw me under the bus. Mistakes happen. We keep talking about mistakes. Mm-hmm. We learn from them. But when an executive throws people under the bus or scolds in public, mm-hmm. I, I'm not of that model. Mm-hmm. I have left a job after six weeks mm. because I just saw, no, I cannot sit here and let you talk to me this way. Yep. For whatever reason, I don't care how stressed you are. Mm-hmm. You don't talk to me or to my teammates or to your direct reports in that manner. Right. So that I can't bend. I can't bend in that. Okay. Yeah. Great. And again, for everyone's benefit, right, there's a difference between tenacity and compromising your standards or values or allowing yourself to be dehumanized or undermined in some way. So by no means are we advocating staying in a bad no. situation. It's, it, that's not at all what we're saying. But we're saying, you know, know what your criteria are. You can also be tenacious at making sure that you're well. Yeah. That your sense of being is intact. Yep. So we could take it on that perspective of mm-hmm. I'm tenacious at making sure my life outside of my career is healthy. healthy. So what advice do you have for up-and-coming executive assistants who are maybe, you know, struggling with uh, a relationship at the moment um, and they're sort of, you know, unclear as to how they can influence things or improve things. Mm-hmm. What, what, what advice would you share? It's easy to say, talk it out. But I, for one, have found that is not always the simplest thing to do. There is a dynamic between an executive and an executive assistant that sometimes it doesn't foster that easy conversation, Mm -hmm. especially when you're new to someone. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to what I said earlier about building a really healthy network because what they might see of your situation is something not so obvious to you. Also, somebody might say the reason why he or she is hard on you is because he or she trusts you. And he or she can be so comfortable in allowing the natural whatever feeling of the day is. My advice is form that healthy relationship outside of your boss. Don't be so limited in thinking that this is the only person who's going to give you merit or success or pave the way for your path. Around you are so many people who watch day in and day out. My other best advice, we're all human, we get emotional, but check, check how your emotions unfold. It's still a place of work. You're still among colleagues. And the bonus is when you find best friends in your Mm -hmm. place of work. Mm -hmm. That's a bonus, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a given. Mm -hmm. So remember, these are your office mates, your work people. So as we prepare to wrap up, yeah. we have a final question that we like to ask everyone. I like this question. Oh, you do? I good. do like this question. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm glad. <laughs> so you know what I'm about to say. Yeah, because I've heard the other podcast. <laughs> okay. okay, great. Uh, if you could support anyone in the world, Ro, throughout the course of history or the course of time, who would you choose and why? So at first, I wanted to be all philosophical and deep. Yeah. I thought, oh. Nietzsche. You know, yeah. All those answers <laughs> by other wonderful EAs. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to be controversial. Go for it. Some people might cringe and go, seriously, did she just say that? J-Lo. Oh, I love that. You know, I'm like the biggest J-Lo fan. Uh, Hello. I don't know. Are you a bigger fan than I am? Uh, I'm not we, sure about this. Okay, we might have a so combat well, here. we're going to take this to the street and we're going to do a J-Lo dance off. And oh, it's happening as soon as we wrap up. Which routine do you up. want? Oh, oh, okay, Ro. Okay, I see how you go. I see you, Ro. My, my students in Vitamin Dance will tell you in one class there might be five or six J-Lo routines. So, so now here's an open invitation to everybody to come. But anyway, this has been great. It's been fun. And I really appreciate how you have a very glass half full versus glass half empty approach to your thinking and looking and really seeking out, well, you know, what is the learning opportunity here? Where's the opportunity to evolve versus just sort of casting like a a shadow on things? It's like, okay, so this happened and how am I going to use this as as an opportunity to transform. And I really appreciate that. I think that's such a like really noble place to come from um, in anything that you do. So I thank you for sharing that as a as I think even like maybe the biggest takeaway um, is just really, you know, looking for those opportunities to learn and grow. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's just been a total pleasure. Okay, now we're going to go outside and have a dance off. And have a dance off. Let's go. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. You can learn more about Maven at www.mavenrec.com. Mm-hmm.